most of parenting is outside of our control. It's how our kids interact with whatever the basic structure is that we give them. Hi, I'm Alana Gallo. I'm a teacher, a mom to four, and the founder of Play, Learn, Thrive. Join me as I chat with real parents and experts as we explore all things play and child development. It's time to take the focus away from you and put the responsibility of playtime back into your kiddos' hands. So if you're tired of planning, leading, and facilitating play sessions, you've found the right place. Each week, we'll explore the importance of play and how it supports child development, along with simple ways to incorporate play in a purposeful way so you can raise confident, self-motivated kids who enjoy playing independently. Hey guys, it's Alana here from Play, Learn, Thrive. Today, I'm here with Dr. Rebecca Diamond. She is going to talk to us about how a pediatrician parents their kids, right? And how parenting through the eyes of a pediatrician can help us raise amazing children. So she's going to tell you a little bit about her background. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. That means that I did medical school and then my residency. And so I've been studying for years and years. And then for the past three years after residency, I've been working as a hospital pediatrician in New York City. So I see kids when they're a little sicker and then they're hospitalized for different things and have a lot of experience just seeing how amazing and resilient children are. Through my training and through my work, I also have my own daughter that I've been raising. So she's a toddler now. And the whole drive to teach you guys and teach everyone and teach myself how to parent like a pediatrician was really coming from this conflict I was seeing between being a new parent and wanting to do everything right, wanting to follow all the scientific recommendations, but just being so overwhelmed and knowing that something had to give. And looking towards the internet and seeing a lot of different choices and a lot of information, but basically too much information, either not quite scientific or unscientific. And there's just so much out there. So since then, I have really tried to focus on helping parents like myself find the best, most scientific, but also most realistic guidance and perspectives out there, which is what I do on my Instagram at Parent Like a Pediatrician. And I connect with these amazing, awesome moms and dads and parenting experts and child health experts to work in collaborations just like this one to try to see how my perspective as a pediatrician and a real world mom can bring us to a point where we're doing things that are safe, but also don't drive us crazy. I love that. And I feel like because it's so true, there's so much out there. And then, you know, you talk to one person and they give you this recommendation and you Mm -hmm. talk to one person, you know, and even within like pediatricians, I mean, I've had some who've recommended some things and, and of course I haven't gone to medical school. So, right. I should never question like what they're telling me to do, but I'm like, I know that that's not really the recommendation anymore, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of scary because there is so much out there and it's, hard to know what, like, what is the most current recommendations, keeping up with that. And then also, like you said, being realistic, like balancing, mm-hmm. you know, the recommendation with what you're, what you're able to actually get done as a parent. So I love that, that you're so re- like realistic about it too. And that you're a parent, because I feel like that makes a difference, right? Like sometimes mm-hmm. there's just things that you don't understand if you're not a parent, I think, even if you've been through hundreds yeah. of years right? There's just certain things that you, if you don't. No, absolutely. Yeah. We've talked about how these expectations are changing. So it seems like more information would be better and more help would be better. But sometimes it's really about just fine tuning on, on which voices that are out there are really actually the helpful voices. 
and are the ones that are respecting what it's like for you as that parent. You know, what is the recommendation might be something that's really great for one family, but for another family, it might be something that needs to be altered a little bit. And so we try as much as pediatricians to do that, but we don't always have the time to sit there and go through every different possible situation that could help you as a family. And so that's what hopefully these kinds of platforms can help you guys with. Yeah, I love that. It's just so much more accessible, I think. And Mm -hmm. it's good to, I, I try to think too, like sometimes what I recommend, and I don't know if you agree with this, is like kind of finding your few people that you listen to and kind of going, you know, trying to stick with that. I mean, not necessarily to the point where you you don't ever want to hear from anybody else, but it is hard when Mm -hmm. you're, you know, reading something about parenting from this person and then this other person. And then, you know, you've got six or seven people and they're all kind of telling you something different and that just makes it even more crazy. Mm-hmm. And so much of it is going with what is your, you know, what's your gut and what is the science telling you mm-hmm. and like meshing those two things together. So I love that. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today specifically are the American Academy of Pediatrics and their recommendations on play. It's one of those things that when I first started researching all of this, so I don't have a background in child development. My background is in education. And I teach older kids, so I don't necessarily have that younger kid education experience Mm -hmm. other than just with my own four crazy kids. But so when (laughs) I, one of the first things that I read about was just this, I don't remember what it was called. It was like a memo or something that they put out years ago that basically Mm -hmm. was like, play is so important. Here's why. And here's how we're fighting for it. And we're, you know, we're advocating for more recess and we're, we're advocating for play-based preschools and like not pushing academics and all these things. And I thought that was so interesting to me, especially as a parent who was so interested in early childhood education as it relates to like where my kids are going to go to school, because I kept seeing like Mm -hmm. none of these changes being implemented. And I'm kind of like, what's happening? Like if this huge board of pediatricians are, are telling us this, like, what's going on? Why aren't we implementing it? And just kind of getting your thoughts about that to start. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with that sentiment completely. I mean, there's all these hashtags out there and all these slogans. And one of them is sort of the play is enough campaign where the idea behind it is that, listen, we've, we've spent the past few decades becoming very academically oriented and and becoming very structured in our education. And some of it is intentional and sort of a drive towards early, what we perceive as education and this very certain type of education that's mostly sedentary and and lesson-based and lecture-based. Some of it is unintentional, I think, and that is just about resources. We're we're a recess-poor education, not reset. We are a recess-poor education system, but we're we're also a resource-poor. We're both, we're both. We're lacking in both for sure. But it takes a lot of resources to encourage the type of free play and exploration of the world. You know, there's more training that you would need from educators. There's also more, you know, staffing you'd probably need for educators to do that type of exploration. There's more play resources you need. You know, it's actually likely more expensive and it's a transition. And so my guess is that's the biggest roadblock to it is not, you know, maybe there, I'm not like entrenched in the in the conversations about education theory at that young age group. But I would imagine most of it is a logistical and and financial limit to say, well, it's expensive to foster play or to at least move to a model that fosters play more. That being said, 
you know, it makes a lot of sense intuitively that a young kid is not going to want to sit down and learn the ABCs over and over again through rote memorization and probably just wants to explore it with peers and do sort of, you know, a different type of structure, a little looser structure where they can start to interact with their environment. We're really social animals. And I think we've seen that no more so than during this pandemic with the fallout we've really seen for kids on their mental health and on parents' mental health. And (laughs) not that I'm saying that personally or anything. (laughs) No, no, not at all. I did just fine. But um, Yeah. yeah, I think we're really social creatures. We really model after being in communities and societies and you know, I, I had written a post that I think about a lot and, and explored this topic a lot during last summer when I was like, oh, we can't do preschool right now because it's the pandemic and it just doesn't make sense for us. And so my daughter got out of her daycare, which is really like a preschool. And I had this panic of like, oh, no one's going to, she's not going to learn anything. Like who's going to teach my daughter how to be three? Yeah. You know, or two and a half or three or whatever it is. And then I sort of, had this realization like, oh, well, like, you know, 50 years ago, there was not really preschool, like it didn't really exist. And it's not like we have a whole generation of kids who don't know how to read or who don't know how to invent things and be brilliant. And in fact, I feel like that generation, oftentimes, like our reading scores and everything have been pretty stagnant for decades. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost corresponding with when we started pushing academics super early. So it's interesting that you say that because I feel like, and of, of course, I don't have any research right now to back this up. So maybe I shouldn't say it, but I feel like part of the problem, but I'm going to say it anyways, because I don't care. Um, yeah, this has yeah. been my experience as a teacher for over 10 years and just seeing kind of the education landscape change. And I, it's, it's almost like the more that we push academics at those earlier ages, the more kids want mm-hmm. to they don't want to learn. And so that, that not wanting to learn is impacting them throughout their schooling career where they're not necessarily really passionate about learning. They're just going through the motions Mm -hmm. to get the answer, or like you said, to memorize something, but they're not really thinking and they're not, Mm -hmm. you know, learning. And that's part of the reason why I started this business because I I wanted to, to change that. And I think that's interesting because it's, it, you're so right. Like we, freak out about our kids. Like, where are they going to go to, you know, preschool or, or are we stimulating yeah. them enough? And like putting on baby Einstein and, and all this like crazy stuff that we're doing, <laughs> like flashcards at two. And I'm like, this is the kind of stuff that's really actually distracting from the real learning for kids, which is them just really participating in, you know, with their peer groups in play and, and learning through, you know, just doing things and hands-on. So I love that so much. The things I kind of wanted to take off from that and echo back is, I think you're saying there's a lot of desire to create this control in our environment and this control in our parenting. And I get it. Part of it is because everyone is out there telling you you're doing a bad job of parenting. Here's what you need to do. Or everyone's out there saying like, there's actually this way to parent. There's actually that way to parent or do this, do that. And there's just unreasonable expectations. As you can see from this podcast, we're both trying to like raise kids and have full-time jobs and, you know, do a million things at the same time. Have a semi-clean house. Yeah. And, and just like all my good wife, like, you right. know, and like maybe do one thing for yourself once a week. Like it's sometimes yeah. it happens, but you know, these expectations are tremendous. And so it becomes kind of easy to think like, 
well, if I just find the most academically rigorous structured thing, like that's very appealing because if that is sold to you as a way to make sure your child is happy and healthy and develops well, great. Like that's one thing I can outsource and feel good about. The truth, which is, I think, much harder to process, and I'm still processing it, is that most of parenting is outside of our control. It's how our kids interact with whatever the basic structure is that we give them. And they're their own little monsters, and they're their own little explorers of the world. And we can't necessarily like transmit to them all the knowledge and skills that we want to in this in this very like academic structured didactic way, that's just not how kids develop. They develop socially, they develop through sensory exploration. It's much stickier and trickier and it's harder. It's much harder. And it's funny that you say that because it's something that I've actually been very attuned to in terms of my teaching older kids, mm-hmm. because I my philosophy is really very much about like providing them with opportunities mm-hmm. for them uncover information and for them to explore topics and have discussion and all these things. And they have a very difficult time doing that. And I think part of it is because they probably didn't have a lot of experience sort of leading their own journey through their childhood. They have had a lot of like parent involvement in term from, Mm -hmm. you know, everything from making sure that your, your child has every single item of clothing that they could possibly need, Mm -hmm. you know, so God forbid Mm -hmm. you're cold like that. Or, you know, they forget their lunch or they forget their project to other things like signing them up for 50,000 activities. They're doing violin and piano and Spanish and, right, and karate, right. you know, plus they have school. And then it's like, well, then when are they playing? When do they have the time to really, you know, they mm-hmm. have downtime and then downtime is TV or video games or, or iPad. And, and right. that's not really downtime that we want kids to have necessarily so often. So anyway, so yes, I feel like my kids are very, have been given a lot of opportunity, whether it's just through like, again, pure laziness in my part, because I just don't have the time or energy or space to really be on them about every little thing. I try to really foster that independence, like telling them to, you know, go outside and we have a very safe backyard space so they can be outside by themselves and they can explore and they're kind of taking risks that, you know, I'm not there, you know, looking over their shoulder at every little thing that they do. And that's like what you said, that's a hard thing to accept as a parent that like, even when you are right there, you can't control everything. Right. And then also Mm -hmm. being right there is almost counterproductive because in my experience and in just the research that I've done, and you can, you can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like, and what I've read is like when parents are overly protective, right. And they're like constantly like, Mm -hmm. you know, don't jump off that. Don't do that. You know, and they're really like trying to control every little situation. The child doesn't learn how to navigate those things themselves. And so then when Mm -hmm. they grow up and they're in high school or college or they're adults, they don't have those skills to be able to look at a situation Mm -hmm. and kind of evaluate risk and understand what the consequence might be if they, you know, get in a car with someone who's been drinking or something like that, where it's like a much bigger of a potential problem versus like a kid who jumps off a rock and maybe gets, a, you know, even if it's like a broken bone. Okay. You know, like that's, that's normal for childhood and kind of those risks that kids are are and should be taking, I guess, is kind of what I'm getting. I don't know if you have thoughts about that. No, I think I think that's totally right. I think 
you know, we love to do the memes. I, I've said memes so much in this podcast. You can tell I'm like 105 years old because I'm trying to sound cool and say the word meme. But um, <laughs> meme, TikTok, Snap. Yeah. But you know, you see all the all the posts and memes and people being like, "Oh, you left your kid for six hours at home. That was called being a child of the '90s." Or like, yeah, you know, and sort of comparing like, "Oh, I when I was a hundred, you know, I'm 105 years old now. And when I was a kid, I just." hopped on a plane myself and I flew to Asia and I did business and I came home. Like, so you'll see all these ridiculous things, but the sentiment is what you're saying is like, we definitely have shifted toward this idea that we can control every single aspect and mitigate every single risk. And we've definitely gone too far. That being said, we don't have to go to like sheer neglect. And I think the problem is that you sort of only see those two narratives or mostly see those two narratives online of like, and even within the AAP, I think that's why it can be so hard to to parse through it because the AAP, who, you know, that's my home and my institution, but I'm very honest about how challenging it can be to navigate some of their mixed messaging. And one of it is is them saying, don't do this, your kid might get hurt or die, don't do this, no walkers, no this, supervise this, yeah. teach that, this is a choking hazard. And it's all good stuff, but we keep doing that over and over again. And then at the same time say, but also do a ton of free play. And it's yeah. like, well, what does that look like to be yeah. vigilant, but not hyper vigilant to be engaged, but not controlling to yeah. engage. It's like be able to balance all these things. Right. And, What's the right yeah. amount of risk? What's the right amount of, you know, reward. And it's really hard. And, and COVID's only made it harder as our kids are either stuck indoors with us for many or either, you know, having to do less social actions, so interactions, so we have to jump in and be that play person, or has to do more unsupervised play, and maybe that part of it is good. So I think there's been a lot of mixed experiences yeah. where some of it is really good for me to be like, well, you're going to just play for two hours on your own while I do a phone call, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. And yeah. you'll be fine. And if you scream, you'll get over it. And you'll know I still love you. Versus sometimes it's hard to be like, oh, you really, you know, there were months where you really didn't have a lot of good interactions and play. And, and what does that look like in terms of me having to jump in and get in my own head and say like, what would another three-year-old do in this situation? And how do I teach her how to navigate play with me, but pretend I'm a three-year-old? And so yeah. the thing I, I think that leads me to my final point I wanted to make is that the play being enough and being important movement is amazing. Um, and I love the way that you do this on your platform because it's clearly in a way that's not meant to add more stress and expectations. That's the danger is when you start seeing people say, not only is play enough, but you have to do this crazy structured play where you take 700 music classes and have yeah. six or start this like perfect fancy Pinterest sensory bin right. every day. And I'm like, I'm like, not that's like the, that's the opposite. opposite right but it's us trying to put, that's us trying to put in both like a market into it you know a money-making market but also put our expectations of like oh we play great I can control that too like yeah and so I can control that by creating this specific craft <laughs> for my kids that is, and it's like no no, no slow yeah. down that's like because then they're gonna know, not want to do playtime because playtime is going to be so structured so it's and you're gonna go crazy wow. so I think, again, like being aware of our tendencies, it's totally natural to want to be in control and to want to draw that straight line between what you're putting out there and what they're receiving. And I get it. But, you know, working on your own 
expectations and your own mindfulness and your own realization that if you're both just exploring the world together, that's what's going to matter. They're modeling after you. They're modeling after your curiosity and your calm and your emotional regulation. Like that's the biggest gift you can give them, not one sensory bin over another or Yeah, I love that. And also just to talk about sensory bins. I mean, I love the idea. We definitely have sensory stuff here, Mm -hmm. but my idea of a sensory bin is like I dump in some (laughs) rice and here's like a a ladle and like a spoon from the kitchen. I I don't set up like elaborate stuff for them. But also I try to think about like kids getting outside as the the most natural and Mm -hmm. best type of sensory experience for them because it's just that is what a sensory experience is, right? Like you mm-hmm. hear the birds, you hear the frogs croaking, you hear the yeah. wind, you smell with you. So, you know, that is, that is in and of itself, like a sensory experience um, just for kids to be outside. And like you said, going along with you taking them along your journey. So, you know, whether that is mm-hmm. your, in my mind, like, part of that is also just incorporating them into your day-to-day life and not necessarily thinking like, okay, I have kids, so I have to spend my day, you know, entertaining them and creating things for them and providing them with these very set experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the things that my kids love to do the best are things that I have to do. So like, I'm like, okay, you know, I've got to fold laundry and they're like, oh, I want to help you. And I'm like, go play. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, oh, okay. So here, so let me, you know, here's socks, match the socks or like, you know, out being outside and, you know, we're raking leaves and they want to rake leaves or pick up sticks or weed the garden or, and it's like entertains them forever. And it's such basic stuff that like, they just want to be doing real, you know, real work that is meaningful Mm -hmm. that they, because they see it's meaningful to you and that you, you know, you're Mm -hmm. kind of participating as the adult. They're like, oh, this is cool. This is something that I want to do. And Mm -hmm. I think parents forget that sometimes like, they get stressed when your kid wants to, you know, come over and, um, you know, help wash, wash the dishes or whatever. And it's like, mm-hmm. dude, put them yeah. in something right. like set, set them over the sink, give them a sponge and walk away and be like, great, yeah. you do this. And like, let them go to town for 20 minutes. Of course, the dishes are not going to be really mm-hmm. clean and there's going to be water right. everywhere, but you clean it up. And like, that is, I feel like takes the pressure off of us where it's like, everything has to be done the right way. and and you know, everything mm-hmm. has to be mm-hmm. kind of like, like in, like in control of all the different situations. And I can say I'm a control freak and I'm very type A and I, I'm like, everything mm-hmm. has to like go and match and be lined up. And like, to the point where it's like, everyone's like relaxed, but that's just how <laughs> I am. And I feel like, so having four kids has kind of like knocked that wind out of my sail a little bit because there's only so much that I can yeah. do. Like, you know, I'll vacuum mm-hmm. and then like, they go outside and they're running through the house with their shoes. And I'm like, I just vacuumed the house, you know? And it's like, okay, relax. Yeah. Um, so it is letting go of that control. And I think that that helps parents too, because we, as parents are, like you said, so overwhelmed and, and um, there's so many yeah. like ridiculously unattainable expectations that are placed on us. Absolutely. I mean, I have a million personal stories I could even share. Like, I think just two days ago, I got some very fancy craft idea that I thought was going to be so stimulating. And I became obsessed with it because like I use all sorts of like crafts and coloring as my own meditation. Uh, You know, I find it very soothing. And so I'm sitting there just like, 
obsessed with doing it just right. And it's, I want to teach her different shapes and numbers and all these things. And she has no interest in this, but like the, you know, the classic, like it's the box that came in, not the activity. She grabs yeah. some things, some piece of paper, something, and she's decided that the two of them are going to be dinosaurs and they're going to fight each other. And she's going to run around and, and quote unquote, ruin my beautiful craft that I got for her. And it's like, there is a part of me that was like, why are you not learning all the beautiful things and having, making all this lovely things that, you know, making this work of art that it needs to be that we've worked yeah. so hard on. And then I was just like, oh my God, she's three. Like how wonderful that she saw this. She was like, I'm not interested in that. But to me, this object looks like a dinosaur can represent a dinosaur. Yeah. It's, like amazing. it's amazing. Like, like and, to be able to take yeah. that and, and like that imagination at that age. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And you're right. It's like, wait, no, you're supposed to be doing it this right. way. Like sometimes I'll sit kids and they're, you know, they're doing Play-Doh and they're like putting the colors mm-hmm. together. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, don't stop it. it. You know, yeah. They were so beautiful. And then I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. Like, who cares? Yeah. I know. Or like with the coloring, sometimes like my daughter, like she loves to color. She's yeah. super into art and she'll you know, she'll be like, color with me. And I'm like, okay. And then I'll start. And then I see like her not doing it the way, like, you know, she colors the grass like pink. And I'm like, yeah, like, it's like, like, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, like, this is really stressing me out, you know? And yeah, but it's not only like a control thing, which is huge. I think it's like, to me, it's a gut check of like, what was the intended purpose of this activity? Why did I bring it out? Was it to make a beautiful work of art that a toddler and I collaborated on that I can put on my mantle for a minute and then be a mad that it's cluttering my mantle or was it to have like this is beautiful and two days later being oh my god if I get one more piece of art or was the point of it like oh I gave you some sort of things to explore and do something with and this was one design option for you but the other was just to decide that it was an ankylosaurus that was going to you know, headbutt the Tyrannosaurus Rex that you had in the other room. And that's pretty cool too. Like that's a yeah, good use of my money. And that's just as developmentally crucial, if not more so, because I've taught her yeah. like, you, yeah, you can explore things. I mean, if it had been something precious yeah. and I had wanted to set limits, that's another thing. But in that case, it was for her. It was something for her to use and she can yeah. use it however she wants. That's so true. So is there anything else that you want to talk about and you want to share? I feel like you are such a wealth of knowledge. I'm like obsessed with your Instagram and I love, (laughs) I love obviously like any moms in this space who are trying to make things easier for other moms. Like that's again, part of the reason why I'm doing, you know, I want to do this because it's like you said, it's just like so many expectations. Like you don't have to do the Pinterest thing. You don't have to do the Instagram sensory Mm -hmm. bin thing. You, you know, just, you literally just have to give your your kid time and space away from you to yeah. like interact mm-hmm. with stuff. And that could be software. It could be rocks. It could be mm-hmm. like, you know, blankets and pillows. Like it, you don't have to buy special things. You don't have to, you know, spend money on special classes. And, and that's kind of part mm-hmm. of what my goal is to like make, take some of that pressure off of, of right. parents and especially moms, because I feel like we do mothers are like a special breed of the population who just gets like just constant like expectations thrown at Mm -hmm. them and that you're doing this, but then you have to do this. Well, how uh, those two things don't go together. I can't, I can't can't let my kid have independence, but then if I let them like walk down the street, 
then like somebody calls the cops. Like it, there's right, no right. in between. It's like, yep. No matter what you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just, I just is like hard to find. No, the only thing I want to add, I love all that too. The thing I really, that was resonating with me is you were talking about kids sort of who have been so structured and who, when it, you know, gets to a later point, don't feel like they, you know, view all these things as a chore, or even view play as a chore because of the way that it's gone. And that sort of connects to me to the other thing, which is I might imagine someone listening to this episode and sort of seeing our approaches and be like, okay, that's great. But like, don't kids have to learn the alphabet? And like, don't they have to speak some sort of language or sign some sort of language or communicate? And maybe one day it would be nice if they learned history and things like that and and math or something. And I'm not here to say like, be anti-intellectual. I mean, obviously I'm very pro-science. I'm very much like, I do think they need to learn all the things they need to learn. Yeah. But the idea is that, especially for the younger ages, especially especially in the, in the pre-K years and the kindergarten years and even in the grade school years, the way to get them to have a more positive relationship with that is through this type of exploratory learning. And one thing that is really something you can do, I think it's hard to feel like, you're being told either do everything or do nothing. Like it's hard to feel like there's so many pressures or not a lot of guidance of like, okay, so what should I be doing? Do I just hand them a a box or do I just whatever, or do they never learn to read or does someone else teach them to read? This is just a very long winded preamble to say that early literacy is a great, great way to dive into the idea of how you're going to make their academics fun for you and them And early literacy means just having a lot of books around when they're young, viewing, letting them explore the sensory aspects of books, reading a lot to them, talking a lot to them, as fits into your schedule and as is fun for you. But if you're looking for an activity that isn't necessarily like a structured, like you have to sit with a sensory bin or you have to, I'm sorry to be mean on sensory bins. It's just like the word that keeps, I know, I I like them. I don't know why I'm saying that. They're great. Or you don't, or I guess what I'm saying is instead of signing up for a day's worth of classes, yeah, like instead of having a day that's scheduled nine to five with you and your three-year-old of doing all these things, in addition to doing all that free play, something you can do when you feel recharged because they've had time to do that free play and you're not sitting there like being their governess or being their preschool teacher is just pick up a book. And they're actually, this is something there's a lot of data for. That kids, even when you can control for socioeconomic status and a lot of other confounding variables, kids who have access to early books and parents who engage with those books with them, they not only read more quickly and do better earlier on in life, their academic scores on even non-reading comprehension things stay higher over the course of their life. Yeah, I saw there was that study that even if they have books like in their presence, like Mm -hmm. not even just being read to not even anything, just literally having books around them that that increases their literacy, which is just incredible and such an easy like, you know, even if you can't afford obviously not, you know, not everyone can afford to have a library of Mm -hmm. books at their house, but maybe you have access to a library or there's Mm -hmm. a like a book lending, you know, in your in your area or something for you to just be able to to have those items available. And even, you know, magazine, like they have kids magazines and, you know, like we get like the highlights and the this and anything with words and stories for kids to listen to and explore. 
And there are organizations that will hook you up if you need help. Reach Out and Read is an amazing organization that tries to get books to kids. Dolly Parton will send you free books. She herself and her organization will send you free books. Yeah, I mean, she's really into early literacy. She's also just a cool person overall with great music. That's so cool. I will definitely, I'm going to link. So we're going to wrap up, but I'm going to link to all that stuff. So guys, if you check out the show notes, you'll see all of the links I'm going to have you share in just a second, but we'll share the links to any of these resources that you have. I would love for you to email me and I can put them in the show notes, like for people to get books if they need them. And also maybe I would love for you to share uh, and you can share them with me and I'll link to them. Just a few resources that you would recommend parents Mm -hmm. kind of have their eye on, if that makes sense. Obviously you, but then, you know, if there are a few other (laughs) places where they they should be getting their information. um, So kind of gives them a nice sense of of where to start. So if you could quickly tell everybody where they can find you, your website and your socials and all that, that would be awesome. So I'm at parentlikeapediatrician.com and I live much more actively on Instagram at parentlikeapediatrician. Follow me and send me all sorts of questions. I take DMs. I answer them as, as much as I can. I'm just here to answer whatever questions and concerns you have. So please let me know how I can help. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. So make sure you check out her Instagram and give her a follow. And you can check out the show notes for the links to everything else. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. You don't want to miss out, right? Woo-hoo. Hey, friend. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Thrive show. I'm happy you stopped by for another week of learning with me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I so appreciate your feedback. I'd also love for you to join our community of over 20,000 parents on Instagram. You can find us at Play, Learn, Thrive Kids. 